ദൈവത്തിന് സ്തുതി ഉണ്ടാവട്ടെ ഇന്നത്തെ നമ്മുടെ ആരാധന നമ്മുടെ യൂത്ത് ഫെലോഷിപ്പ് മെമ്പേഴ്സിനായിട്ട് വേർതിരിച്ചിരിക്കുന്ന ദിവസമാണല്ലോ നമ്മുടെ ഇന്നത്തെ സർമ്മന് നേർത്ത് നൽകുന്ന നമ്മുടെ പ്രിയപ്പെട്ട റോഷ്നിയാണ് ഞാൻ ആ റോഷ്നിയെ ശ്രദ്ധിക്കാൻ തുടങ്ങിയത് ജോർജ് ഫ്ലോയിഡിൻ്റെ കൊലപാതകവുമായി ബന്ധപ്പെട്ട് ലോകം ആസകലമുണ്ടായ ഒരു മൂവ്മെൻ്റ് ആയിരുന്നു ബ്ലാക്ക് ലൈഫ്സ് മാറ്റർ സിനോഫോബിയായ്ക്കെതിരെയും എത്നിക് ഡിസ്ക്രിമിനേഷനെതിരെയും ഉണ്ടായ ശക്തമായ ഒരു മൂവ്മെൻറ്റ് ലോകത്തെല്ലായിടത്ത് മലയടിച്ചു അത് ലോകരാജ്യങ്ങളിലൊക്കെ വല്ലാതെ ചലനമുണ്ടാക്കി അതിൻ്റെ ഭാഗമായി നിന്നപ്പോൾ നമ്മുടെ യൂത്ത് ഫെലോഷിപ്പിൻ്റെ അംഗങ്ങളായിരിക്കുന്ന ഇവരെ പോലെയുള്ള ആൾ റോഷിൻ്റെ നേതൃത്വത്തിലൊക്കെ തന്നെ വളരെ ശക്തമായ ഒരു ഇനീഷ്യേറ്റീവ് അവർ രേഖപ്പെടുത്തുകയുണ്ടായി അത് വെബിനാറിൻ്റെ രൂപത്തിൽ നാലോ അഞ്ചോ ഇപ്പോഴെല്ലാ ശനിയാഴ്ചകളിലും ബൈ വീക്കിലി ആയിട്ടാണ് നടത്തുന്നതെന്നാണ് എൻ്റെ വിചാരം എനിക്ക് സമയമുള്ളപ്പോഴൊക്കെ ഞാനതിൽ പ്രവേശിക്കാറുണ്ട് അതിലൊന്ന് രണ്ട് പേപ്പറ് റോഷിനി അവതരിപ്പിക്കുന്ന എൻ്റെ ശ്രദ്ധയിൽപ്പെട്ടു വളരെ അക്കാഡമിക്കായി വളരെ സ്കോളർലിയായി അത് അവതരിപ്പിക്കുന്ന കണ്ടപ്പോൾ ഇങ്ങനെയുള്ള കുഞ്ഞുങ്ങൾ നമ്മുടെ ഇടവഴിക്കുള്ളത് ഓർത്ത് ഞാൻ ദൈവത്തിന് നന്ദി പറയും അവരുടെ അക്കാഡമിക്കായിട്ടുള്ള നല്ല ലീഡർഷിപ്പ് അവരുടെ അത്തരത്തിലുള്ള ഓരോ കണ്ടംപറി ഇഷ്യൂസിനോടുള്ള റെസ്പോൺസ് അത് എന്നിൽ വളരെ ആശ്ചര്യമുള്ളതാക്കി ഞാൻ എല്ലാ ആശംസകളവർക്കും നൽകുന്നു ഞാൻ ഇൻവൈറ്റ് റോഷിനി ഫോർ സെർമൻ ഡെലിവറി So before I begin, we'd like to, I'd like to start with um, first a short prayer, and then I'll go into my sermon. So, Lord, thank you for gathering us here today on this Holy Sabbath day. Thank you for, for bringing us all here today to worship in your name, to praise your holy name, and to celebrate Um, and understand the meaning of family, Lord, and to understand our role as a family, as a Christian family, as a Christian community, and how we can make the world a better place in your name, Lord. Lord, we pray for his grace, Dr. Joseph Martha Metropolitan, who has been called to eternal life. We are thankful and grateful for his grace's loving and spiritual leadership during the past 13 years as the Metropolitan, 46 years as bishop, and 63 years as priest in the ministry of the Marthama Church. Many of us here today look to his grace as an example of community leadership, an exemplary servant and stewardship to the Lord Almighty. And we thank you for giving us his light, for providing his light and his soul, his guardianship, his guidance for all of us to look up and 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 be an example of today. Lord, I ask that you be with, uh, be with me as I deliver this sermon. May your Holy Spirit and, uh, and your words, your guidance, your teachings work through me, Lord, as, as, I, as I try and, and preach your, your, your lessons, your, your words, Lord. Please work through me, guide me, and help us understand your word and your teachings better 
for us, Lord. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's a blessing to be with you all here today. My name is Roshni. Um, my full name is Roshni Achama Korean. Achama is my Amachi's first name, and Korean is my Apacha's first name. My first name, Roshni, is all, on my own, all of my own, gifted to be my, by my parents, Shaji and Betty Korean. Since moving from Kerala, my parents, uncles, aunties, cousins, we've all lived and settled in one place, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is where we all still currently reside. So when I was asked to speak on the topic of family as a place of faith formation, I reflected on the meaning of these words and specifically what they meant to me. I believe it's, I think it's important for me to first talk about family, place, faith, and formation individually before we try to piece together what this all means collectively as a teaching. Before I begin though, I'd like to tell you all about me, Roshni, and share with you all the lessons that I've learned from my family, my home, my place, and my faith. For it is all these things together that has helped to create and form me, Roshni. For it is without, for without my soul, my family, my connection to my place, my home, and my faith in the Lord Almighty, I would not be here today. And it's all of these things that form us, all of us, each of you all here together, right? Without your soul, your family, your connection to your place, and without your faith in the Lord Almighty, you would not be here today. All the best stories in life teach us that we must look to the past in order to learn and move into the future. So in order to figure out how to best move forward in my present life and in my future as God intended my path to be, I reflected on these four tenets, family, place, faith, and formation, because all of these have helped, to dis helped me discover my role in the world, in the world that we live in today, and help me understand how I can best occupy my role in the world as a divinely guided woman, daughter, sister, chechi, friend, and future community social worker. I like to think that I was born to challenge my parents, as I've always been a unique child. Before I was born, my mother read the name Roshni in a novel and loved it. My dad wanted to call me Jisha because it's his name, spelled Shaji, spelled backwards. <laughs> um, and the name they both liked was Sharon. But somehow, my mom won, as you know, the wives always do. <laughs> the name Roshni prevailed, and it was set in the birth records. And in accordance to the name gift, gifted to me, which was chosen out of a novel, I also loved reading. I buried my heads in all sorts of stories and novels as a child. Since I was old enough to listen and understand, I loved listening to all my elders share stories of their lives. And since I could read, I loved books. My parents said, love math and science. I loved English and history. They said, be a doctor or pharmacist. I studied literature and social work. I haven't been the easiest kid for them to manage. 
And throughout the years, I've relentlessly pursued my own path while dragging my parents along with me as I grumbled and worried about whether I would survive on my own chosen career path, a path that not many smart Malayali kids are choose to do. But through the way, I've learned some important lessons in my life on the importance of finding your way back to your true self. And I want to share some of these lessons with you all. Now, as I've mentioned when I introduced myself, my middle name is Achama, and I was named after my dad's Amachi. I learned from some reading and research that the name Achama is actually a Malayalam Syrian Christian translation version of the name Susanna, or Susan, or originally pronounced Shoshana in Hebrew. And Shoshana, Susan, or Susanna, is the name of two notable women in the Bible, one in the book of Luke, and the other is in an addition to the book of Daniel, which is included as chapter 13 in the Greek version of the text and included in some versions of the Bible, not all, um, in case you're not familiar with the story. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, um, Susanna is mentioned once, listed as a female disciple of Jesus, one of the many women who followed him. In the Old Testament, Susanna is a righteous and God-fearing woman who was falsely accused of adultery and sentenced to death after refusing the advances of two lustful elders. Susanna trusted in the Lord, and she stood firm in honoring her rights, her commitments, and her faith. And as a result, she was saved from execution when God stirred up the Holy Spirit in Daniel, and he rescues her. Susanna was known in her community in the Bible to be, quote, a beautiful woman who feared the Lord. Her parents were righteous and had trained their daughter according to the laws of Moses. That is also the perfect description for my amachi. I strongly believe that our parents and our grandparents have God's love in their hearts. I saw this as an example in my life with my own Amachi Apacha. My Apacha, before he passed away in 2011, had Alzheimer's disease. And my Amachi showed the true unconditional love of God when she cared for my Apacha for 10 years while he was completely bedridden, unable to move, walk, bathe himself, feed himself. She took care of him. As a woman who got married at 14 years old, mothered seven children, and then raised all her grandchildren in Canada, their marriage and partnership was absolutely foundational to her and our family. When I think about how this is no more than a shadow of the love that God has for each and every one of us, it's pretty overwhelming. For just like her namesake, Susanna in the Bible, my Amachi was a God-fearing and righteous woman is a God-fearing and righteous woman. She honors her sacred vows, her commitment to her family, and to God. My Apacha's name, my family's last name, is Korean. Korean translates to, uh, to Cyril, a name which means Lord, which is apt for my family because Apacha in Kerala was a farmer. He was a strict and formidable man who cultivated his land and managed his workers. Being a farmer, a landowner in Kutinad, Mepadam, India, 
Kerala, meant having certain responsibilities and meeting community obligations. He was tasked to take care of the land he was trusted with, to take care of the people who worked for him, and to take care of his family as best as he could. My favorite stories of Appaja are the ones my aunt, my older aunts, tell of him scolding my dad and his brothers who got in all sorts of trouble when they were kids while hunting snakes, um, roaming about on, by the mill, and playing card games with their friends. Hearing these stories again and again remind me that life will always be cyclical in nature. Kids will always get into all sorts of trouble, even my dad, and parents will always scold, love, and protect. I'm telling you these stories because of my grandparents because by sharing stories of our history, our past, that's how we best honor our past and our loved ones. Stories of our past, our shared history, is what connects us all. And it's what actually makes us different from all living things in the world. Human beings have this great capacity to share stories, to weave fiction, to conceive of life after this world, to imagine and believe in God, and to tell each other stories. That is a unique aspect of what makes us human, that no other creature on Earth has the capability to do. Storytelling is an essential aspect of what makes us human. This is what connects us to God and to the Divine One. And from the beginning of time, this is what we have been doing. As people, we pass down our histories, our stories, our traditions, our cultures, and our beliefs. So, what stories have been passed down to me? to you, to you all, to the children of our church, to, to the children of our world. Storytelling is a communal family experience. Our stories connect us, roots us to a shared past and history. And remembering all this, thinking about, you know, all that I've studied in my English degree, in my social work studies, I think about what my family has taught me and how being raised in the Malayali community, it's absolutely foundational and critical to raise our children in a communal way. We teach our children or the lessons our parents, our elders, our teachers, our grandparents teach us in our homes, our church, our samajam, our communal teachings, they, teach, they have taught me how to be a daughter and sister to all. When Jesus was asked, Jesus said, Who are my brothers, who is my mother, and who is my brother? For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus did not just look out for his flesh and blood family. He understood family as a collective responsibility. Everyone who follows the Lord is my family, my mother, my brother, and my sister, he said. And our Malayali community, I, I believe, amplifies this extremely well. Now, as an undergrad English student, I read countless novels and stories. I read and learned about my own history, my South Asian history, culture, Canadian perspectives, um, and most importantly, I believe, the perspectives and voices of marginalized communities, 
like black communities, indigenous communities, and poor immigrant and refugee communities all around the world. I was obsessed with what I thought, with what others thought was their home, their place, and where they felt compelled to establish their roots. For let me share with you a not-so-secret. Home is actually a really complicated idea for many immigrants who experience disconnect and discomfort while being away from their homelands, right? And I think all of us, like with you know, immigrant families, we experience this well because Nada, our Nada, Namalda Nada, is not home, it's not here, right? It's, it's Kerala. We always feel these, this, these familiar ties to the land that we're from, right? Um, but as someone who was born in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, someone who is Canadian, right? Um, as kids, as second generation kids, sometimes it's hard for us to point, pinpoint where home is exactly because we don't exactly belong in Kerala, but we're also not fully recognized citizens in a white majority country because our name, our skin color, and our South Asian upbringing somehow always signify other, someone who's not truly Canadian, and someone who keeps getting asked, but where are you really from? Our place in the world and society is dictated by power. Power shapes which stories we tell and how we tell them. And if we only hear about a certain group of people a certain place from one point of view, we risk accepting one experience as the whole truth. And as children, as adults, we are incredibly impressionable and vulnerable to the stories we hear on the news, to the stories we tell each other, okay? We are quick to believe one perspective, one story, without bothering to listen to any others. Um, but telling the stories that we can only tell about our experiences, our hopes, and our fears helps to break down the power of cliches and stereotypes. If we share our stories and if more vulnerable and marginalized communities open up to share their stories, it helps break down the power of cliches, stereotypes, and power structures. Hearing just one story contributes to ongoing dehumanization of all people who are different from us. Term, power concepts and, and you know, things like capitalism, colonialism, racism, and power over others ultimately devalues the image of God in another person. Powers of oppression, control, and authority have ravaged and destroyed indigenous and black people's shared connections to their history, their culture, and their ancient ways of life. This summer, through Light the Way, our, our social justice initiative at this church, I learned a new story of a church female leader named Achimacharian, another namesake of me and my Amachi, another Achima who I find incredibly inspirational. Achimacharian was a Marthoma teacher and one of the very few female leaders of the Travancore State Congress, and she was chief organizer 
of the famous 1939 Trivandrum Palace rally to protest political crackdowns. She bravely placed herself at the forefront, offering to take the first bullet against British troops. Just like her namesake, Achimacharian, um, just like Susanna in the biblical story, stood strong in her faith, her courage, and her conviction against colonial powers and authority. I learned from my share history with this woman, who also shares my name and my grandmother's name, how to stand and be righteous and God-fearing. Susanna in the Bible, along with Maya Machi, was a righteous and God-fearing woman, taught by her parents the law of Moses. Achimagcherian knew her place in society, in her community, because she was to stand up and protect the rights, protect the rights of Eastern Christian communities in Kerala. In an era of Me Too, where countless women experience violence in their homes and communities, I look up to her, and a lot of, I, I, and I believe a lot of Malayali girls do too. And other, I look up to, we look up to all the other women who stood, who stand up against violence, dishonor, and corruption. And I feel particularly strong about this because I am, uh, I'm studying social work. I'm a future social worker. So when I think about my place in society, I also think about my role within my family structure and institution. Place is not just where we are, right? Not just about our land, our homes. Place is also about our role in society within our family structures and, and institutions. What is my place? What is, in, what is my role in my family, in my, in my community? And so as a youth member of the church, as a sister, as a chechi, and in the future, you know, when I'm older, when I have a family, my future role as a wife, as a mother, in the world we currently live in, what am I supposed to do as a social worker? What is my role in the world? In the world we currently live in, with climate disasters happening every month, a global pandemic shutting down our economies, and 1% of people in the world hoarding majority of the wealth, while millions of people are in poverty. What is my role in the world? Social justice is a foundational value in social work practice, and it is actually one of our major practice principles. In every single relationship that we take with an individual, we must practice social justice. We are taught that in order to help others reach their fullest potential, each individual must feel fully valued and whole in their mind, body, emotions, and spirit. In social work, we are taught that a person's well-being hinges on four things. Their physical body, their mental body, their emotional body, and their spiritual body. Harm and trauma can occur to any one of these four bodies. And the health of all four is vital for a person to be happy, healthy, and thriving in the world. We are not just a physical body, right? We, are, we think, we process emotion, and our souls are our spiritual connection to God. Our soul 
is our light source. That's our connection to Jesus. And that's our, that's our connection to our spiritual self. Social, structural social work practice principles value collective healing over individual healing. And that's why, as a social worker, I feel more drawn to collective and community healing over individualistic healing. And I think that's because, as Malayalis, it's in our DNA to take care of each other, to look out for one another, because we know that we're stronger together. And that's, I, th I believe, that's what we all need to get back to doing, to focus more on collective healing models of health and care to recognize that it's not just our physical body that we must take care of, but also our mental bodies, our emotional bodies, and our spiritual bodies. So now to talk about my faith. For when we all have moments when our faith is shook, when we doubt. Um, and for a long time, I my faith was shook, and I did doubt. And I even hesitated to, to call myself a Christian, to align myself with the teachings of the church, because I was seeing a lot of violence and hate in the name of Christianity, um, committed by Christians. And I wasn't seeing a a religion that was reflecting my values as, as a woman and as a social worker. Um, I was seeing a religion and a church aligned with politics and values that I myself did not align with um, because many members of my Christian community, of my Malayali community, often express um, unintentionally or intentionally um, expressed some racist or homophobic anti-Muslim sentiments and teach the, their children these sentiments too. And I think as a community, it's difficult for us to understand um, very complex issues in the world. We all come with different experiences, different teachings, different values, different perspectives. Um, and it's difficult to have and hold conversations about, you know, um, topics like these, topics that um, are political in nature, topics that are complicated in nature. Um, but I remembered what a wise teacher once told me um, in my university English school days. It's easy to run. It's harder to stay and have difficult conversations, right? And so I think with Light the Way, that's exactly what we're trying to be doing. We're trying to stay and have difficult conversations with our parish, with our community, because that's the only way we're able to move forward in the world today. Because we all experience trauma. We all experience trauma, big trauma or little trauma, it doesn't matter because everybody experiences trauma. Trauma, regardless of what type of trauma it is, 
whether you've experienced loss of it, loss of a loved one, whether you've experienced um, a car, like an accident, um, trauma to your physical body, trauma to like you know um, betrayal, um, or systemic injustice, systemic trauma. Trauma impacts us all, and trauma impacts the body. Racism is a trauma that is passed down generation to generation, and it hurts us enormously and impacts our perception of ourselves and each other because it establishes a hierarchy of, of power, of race, and privilege. It establishes whiteness as superior and everything else as de-superior. And so this, anything that, supremacy, I think, is the root of evil in the world. Anytime we believe that we are better than a person, better than a group of people, better than an individual, that is a darkness that threatens to corrupt our soul and it threatens our spiritual self. And when this is committed onto another person, it impacts not only their physical body, but it impacts their emotional self, their mental self, and their spiritual self. So when you're talking about communities, vulnerable communities, marginalized communities, like black communities, like indigenous communities in Canada, big traumas, little traumas, systemic injustice, it impacts not only their physical bodies, but their mental, emotional, and spiritual selves. Big trauma, little trauma, it doesn't matter because the scale of the trauma is always dependent on the individual experiencing it. But trauma is something that we can all relate to because we've all experienced it. Death of a loved one, accidents, violence, hurt, pain. Trauma impacts our bodies hugely and changes and dehabilitates us completely sometimes. And trauma can also be passed down. Intergenerational trauma means it's passed down from our family and our ancestors. And as Indians, we collectively, as a people, experienced a trauma when, when we were colonized as a people. And we still, as, a, as an Indian community, carry the wounds of this trauma in our bodies and in our minds. We all understand that to heal a wound, you must first cleanse the wound completely to heal it, to you know, clean it of all bacteria. We must you know, inject it or clean it, bandage it, take care of it, use good medicine, fill ourselves with goodness. And in the same way, we need to address all of our traumas like this. Otherwise, evil or negative feelings, moods, thoughts, behaviors, depression, anxiety, stress, it lingers and festers and harms our bodies, our four bodies, which are you know, inhabited in, in each of us, in each body. So in the same manner that we must address our physical ailments, 
We must also address our societal sins and personal and generational traumas. We must heal not only our bodies, but also our communities, our countries, and the world. And we need to do our part to bring balance to the world and our bodies. Jesus specifically calls us to do this. For he says, For it is written, yet I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth in him, is the, its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because darkness has blinded them. Trauma impacts us all. And I wanted to take this time to also talk about uh, an issue that is close to my heart. Over the summer, um, I learned about the case of Praveen Varghese and his mother, lovely Varghese. Um, Praveen was a young boy, a university boy, um, who was murdered because he looked different, um, because because he looked threatening, because he um, was perceived to be other. Um, he was murdered in the woods and, um, you know, he was, he was targeted for, for some money and um, when, when, when the case, when, when, they, when they went about, um, you know, investigating the case, um, the, the police authorities told Praveen's family that he was drunk, that he had been doing drugs, he was at a party, he was violent, he was fighting, and that's why um, he was found in the woods um, alone. Um, and, you know, that's why he, his body was found. He was not a good boy, essentially, is what um, they were trying to convince his family. Um, but lovely auntie, she f knew in her heart that that was not her son. That was not the Praveen that she knew. Um, and it, it devastated um, their community. It devastated her 
it devastated Praveen's sisters um, because what happened to George Floyd, what happened to countless other black men, is also what happened to Praveen. And I want to ask us all here tonight, or here today, how do you think you all would have reacted if that was your son? How do you think you would have reacted if, if policemen had called your son drunk, violent, when autopsy reports state otherwise? For the, like the autopsy reports that came back said that Praveen had zero alcohol and drugs in his system. Lovely Auntie cried for two weeks during the George Floyd, Floyd murder because she saw all the stuff, that, all the things that they were saying about him, she said, that's, what, that's exactly what they said about my Praveen. Anything to justify the official story. She and countless other mothers experienced this trauma of having their babies wrongfully taken from them. But she believes that Praveen is doing much more good than he ever could have on this earth today. He studied, he was in universities to study criminal justice, and now she has taken up his baton to stand up and, and advocate for a better criminal justice system. So along with countless other mothers, other, other, countless other black mothers, indigenous mothers, lovely auntie, is taking a stand against what is wrong, because that is what Christ teaches us to do. It's devastating for these families, for the, count, like for the numerous families whose children have been erased from the system when no justice is served, no acknowledgement of their life. And this is trauma. And this is a trauma that's happening in mass numbers to black people. And when it's happening in mass numbers, it's deep-seated intergenerational trauma. And again, trauma impacts, has deep, deep-seated impacts on our whole bodies, our spiritual selves, our mental selves. It dims our light, our aura. Things start to feel foggy and dark you feel stifled, you're not able to live your true and best self when trauma holds you back, when shame holds you back. And I think we've all experienced moments where we've experienced trauma and shame, where you don't get to voice your truth, you hold your silence to keep the peace within your family, within your community, But I think we must also ask ourselves, are we keeping the peace within ourselves when we keep silent? For a long time, I held my silence and to keep this peace. And I, it didn't feel right in my soul to live uncomfortably for so long. 
And I think when we're uncomfortable, when we experience shame and trauma, our body gives us signs. We feel it. We feel it in our stomach. We feel it in our insides. We feel our gut, our toiling and churning and bubbling, all because you're not living your truth. You're not voicing what you want to say. You're not able to live in your truth, fulfill your purpose, and be truly happy. And when you're not able to do that, you're not living the way God intended for you to live. And that's a sin. That's wrong, because we are all light. We all have light within us. It flickers deep inside all of us. And we, are not, we must not allow anything in the world to dim that light. Sometimes sin, negative energy, darkness, it threatens to dim that light or destroy it completely. But that light inside all of us is our divine connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is everything good and light and pure, and it is, it is the force of love. And we have it, all of us, each of us, has that divine connection. We are all light. Each human being is made in the image of God. And that light that flickers within all of us is him. It is our connection to the creator. So what threatens to dim that light in the material world? In our day-to-day life, well, my social work teachings have taught me lots of things dim our light. Depression, anxiety, stress, sadness, addiction, lust, greed, obsessions over money, material wealth, These behaviors, moods, emotions, they dim our aura, our light, but healing also brightens our aura. And that's why it's so important to address our pain and the root cause of our our pain. For we know know this when it comes to our physical body. We know to treat our, our, our wounds, but we must also learn how to do this with our spiritual, mental, and emotional selves as well. See, I'm lucky. Whatever traumas that I've experienced or my family has experienced, it's impacted our spirit, our bodies, our mental and emotional selves, but my safety and security has remained consistent because of everything my family was able to provide for me, because of what my apacha and my amachi was able to provide for my father, and what my father and mother were able to provide for me. Others don't have it so lucky. Bigger systemic injustice impacts black indigenous people more than than it does us. It impacts their bodies and their spirits far more than it does ours. And it impacts their relationships with one another when black fathers are incarcerated at alarming rates, black children are left fatherless, without role models, without without the stability and security necessary for them to overcome their own personal struggles and traumas. So really, 
when we think about racism, when we think about systemic injustice, I really want us to all think about how it impacts people's bodies, people's spirits, and people's relationships. For how can we expect healthy individuals to emerge from families who don't have access to the tools to be healthy? How does racism impact the body and what does it do to us? Think about who are the oppressed? Who is not able to access or security? And who, are, who is not able to heal their traumas? Humans have power. Humans have, we've been given power by God. Um, we, we've, we have an obligation and a responsibility to be good stewards of everything that we were given by God. Um, but we've also abused this power for that apple, right, in, in Genesis, that, um, that, that temptation, the original sin that, we, that Adam and Eve bit into. Um, it's, that, that was evil, that's darkness, that's the knowledge of good and evil. And so we've learned how to use this power for evil as well as good, to suit our own means, our own wants and desires instead of God's, and to use and abuse the earth for our own purposes and think that we are above the earth. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us that we are on the earth, participants in the garden, to keep it and to take care of it. That's the first thing that God instructed us to do, to take care of the garden around us, to look at the world around us, and to be good stewards of it. And instead, 2020 AC, after Christ, We've used and abused our bodies, each other's bodies, the earth, instead of treating it like a temple as God intended. And so thinking about the state, reflecting on the state of the world as it is now, I'm wondering like, how, how will our future children look at us? What will they say? you know, 20 years from now. What will, when they ask, what have you done to make our world safer for us? What are we gonna say back to them? The most important lesson I think I've learned, and I think we all value, is honor thy mother and father. But this doesn't just mean honor your parentals. It also means honor God, for he is omnipresent, he is everywhere. And we must also honor the motherland, our earth. Honor everything that he has created for us, everything he has provided for us. 
To be a good steward is to be a good guardian. We have a duty, a duty to take care of every natural thing that walks on the earth. We are meant to maintain balance in the earth, to protect the earth and our people, to provide stability for the coming generation. We are intended to be fruitful and multiply, to preserve the healthy environment that our children and our future need. And ultimately, this is the lesson that I've learned throughout my short life. From all the stories that I've read, from all the experiences of marginalized black, indigenous, immigrants, all the stories that I've read, this is the one thing that they've all have in common. We must all be the light in the darkness. Because as Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may say your good deeds and worship your God in heaven. For our duty, our obligations, our spiritual obligations as good Christians, we must honor that light that is inside all of us. And we must never let it be corrupted by material wealth, by power, and by a false sense of superiority over other humans, other living things, or the earth. So Light the Way, we are a social justice initiative, newly begun this summer, um, in the wake of George Floyd's death. Youth in this church, we felt we needed to do something. We needed to stand up in our community um, to, make, to make a difference um, and to educate our community because there's a lot that we don't understand out there. There's a lot, um, racism and, and supremacy impacts our world in ways that are incredibly difficult to understand. But the only way we're able to try to understand is to have discussions. And so like the way we do, we, we host bi-weekly seminar, seminars every other Saturday, and we invite everybody, regardless of um, their faith, regardless of their age, to participate. Because it's only when talking about difficult conversations do we get stronger and do we become more closer as a community. For what is a good family? What is a family? Who is Jesus' family? What is, you know, what is the definition of a Christian family? And what does it mean to be good brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers? Well, it says right here in our gospel, the guidebook to life, the book that we were given at birth to follow, right? Um, that our, pe our people was chosen to follow. Yeah.
For the gospel says, you have a, you have a, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the ways they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. The Gospel says, those who follow Christ, those who follow God, those who do good, they are all your brothers and sisters. It is important for us to walk together as a community, as a family, to love each other as a community, as a family, with honor, with integrity, with respect, and with light and love in our hearts. For that's the only way we're able to move forward in the world and to build a better world, a better future for our children. And with that, I'd like to, for all of us, to bow our heads in prayer. And if a member of the if, if someone here could please um, close off in prayer, a member of the community. Thank you, everybody.